the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. Everything in our business, in our profession, is about establishing personal relationships and maintaining those. And you guys talk a lot about some great technology tools for doing that, but really at the end of the day, there's no substitute for that actual face-to-face direct connection, especially to reinforce anything that you've done or the connections that you've made over the internet or electronically. That's the kind of thing that I just think you have to do is get out in the community, particularly the legal community. Meet the folks that are most likely to send you business. Run your law firm the right way. way. This is the Maximum Liar Podcast. Maximum Liar Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking. And I'm Tyson Mutrix. Morning, Jimmy. Tyson, my friend. Good to hear your voice. How you been? Good, good. Just uh, in the car, driving. So, uh, nice little morning drive. How about you? I just got back from my last strategic coach meeting of the year, and I got a lot out of it. It was uh, pretty energizing. It was in a different group because I missed my regular meeting. My dad was in the hospital a couple months ago, so I got to be with a whole new set of people, and it was a, a nice reset for me. So for the listeners that don't know what strategic coach is, I think most probably do, but some don't. What is it? Like, How would you describe it? Dan Sullivan is a guy who's been coaching people since the 70s, and he has put together this coaching program. I go up once a quarter. I meet with a lot of other business owners. It's not cheap, but we meet four times a year, and we have a day together where we're sort of outlining the next quarter. And, you know, for me, you know, I did that Colby test, and I'm a 10 quick start. So for me to to really have some structure to my entrepreneurial bent has been really helpful. And that means that you jump into things, but you don't finish them? Is that what that means? My follow-through is low. Yes, that's right. I have good ideas, but my follow-through is weak. Would you recommend doing it? Are you going to redo it, or how does it work? Yeah, I think I am going to redo it. John Fisher's in the group, and there's some other members of our group that are in there. It's uh, it's good. It's it's really helpful for me and gives me some structure. And it, it also gives it, a lot of the changes that we've brought about this year in the firm have really come about because of what I've learned in Strategic Coach. I love it. All right, so we've got a guest this week. You want to introduce him? Yeah, so I'm really excited. It's one of the fellows who's pretty active in the group. We're happy to have him. His name's Todd Smith. He's an appellate lawyer based in Austin, Texas. He is uh, president-elect of the Austin Bar Association. He's a very impressive fellow. Todd, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm glad to be here with you. All right, Todd. So talk a little bit about what you do. Be a little more, uh, I guess, a little more specific, a little more in-depth, and then how you kind of went down that road to, to doing what you do. 
Well, you know, the path for me to get from law student to managing partner of a small law firm was interesting for sure. When I went to law school, I thought I wanted to be a criminal defense lawyer or starting out as a prosecutor and then possibly going to criminal defense at some point. And then I get to law school and of course, you know, you're exposed to all kinds of new ideas and institutions and so forth. And then I did reasonably well enough so that I had some law firms that were interested in talking to me and I thought about, oh, well, there's this whole idea of a civil practice, which I didn't have a lot of exposure to. And uh, I wound up getting a judicial clerkship with the Texas Supreme Court that sort of sparked my interest in the kind of work that I do now, which is civil appellate work. So I wound up from there going to tort for a very large law firm, uh, big law, and spent six years in their Dallas office. And then back in 2003, came down here to Austin with the same firm and really decided that at that point, you know, big law and working on national pharmaceutical dockets and that sort of thing just really wasn't where I wanted my career to go. I wanted to be a a Texas lawyer and I had enough exposure working for the appellate court and doing some other things in my career that I, I knew I wanted to do appellate work. And that was harder and harder to get as a mid-level or senior-level associate in a, in a big law firm. And then so I decided to go ahead and hang my own shingle, and I started out as a solo. was solo for about three years or so, and then I wound up forming a law corporation and then having some other folks come in with me, and that was back around 2010, and here we are. How did I tell a lot of other lawyers and new lawyers in our office that our biggest competitor when it comes to immigration is a lot of people think they can do it themselves. And I would think that as an appellate lawyer, you might see that as well, that a lot of lawyers think, oh, I can handle my own appeal. I know the case better than anybody else. So why would I turn it over to an appellate specialist? But I'd love to hear, since you do have so many lawyers listening to the show, your mindset on how lawyers should think about working with appellate counsel. Absolutely. And and you're spot on there, Jim. That's the biggest challenge in business development for an appellate lawyer is how do I persuade a trial lawyer who has worked the case from start to to wherever the point it is now to turn loose of his case and not only the case, but also the revenue. That actually, in the way things have gone with law practice in the last you know 10 years or so, like every other aspect of, of business and the economy, lawyers have been, have been uh, pretty hard pressed to turn loose of good paying clients and, and hand them over to somebody else. But that is our business model. I mean, we we work with other lawyers directly, and what we tell them is, look, you know, you're really good at what you do. You're a successful trial lawyer. Uh, you get good results for your clients. On the off chance that you don't get a good result, you know, you're smart enough certainly to handle an appeal. But what you really ought to be able to do is focus on what you do best, and this is what we do. We handle civil appeals not only actually in the appellate courts, but we help trial lawyers get ready for appeal. And that goes all the way back even as far as before the case is filed. So, you know, our involvement is we want to help you strategize about some complex issues or thorny issues in your case, uh, help you steer clear of the landmines that can come up in cases along the way, uh, even as early as trial or, or pretrial. And then, of course, help you set the case up for the best possible outcome on appeal. And one selling point, I suppose, to that is you're down in the ditch. You're you're fighting the battle. You're in the arena, so to speak. And it's hard to keep your eye on every ball that, that is in the air at that time. And so what we are able to do is sort of be that 
not completely disinterested, but neutral observer with a view to trying to keep all the balls in the air and keep them aligned properly so that at some point down the road when there is an appeal, we'll have the case in the best position for success. Todd, do you market more towards attorneys or towards clients, and how do you market to those individuals? You know, I've gone back and forth over the course of my career because, you know, I came in when I started my firm. It was in the very early days of sort of Internet marketing. And, of course, you can reach a very broad audience, as you all know, through the Internet. But I have always found that my best work comes from referrals. I've set out immediately to establish relationships with trial lawyers who are in a position to connect me either directly. You know, I sometimes get hired directly through a law firm or to essentially refer me to their client. And then, you know, that's obviously a warm referral, right? So those relationships have a tendency to work out as well. But really the the baseline relationship for me in terms of my business development is with other lawyers, particularly trial lawyers who know what I do. I think I've established a decent enough reputation that they feel confident referring cases to me or it's folks that I've worked with before. And that's where I've I really am right now is the best source of work for me is lawyers, not only trial lawyers, but lawyers that I've worked with previously who I think have some confidence in what we're able to do to help them out and help their clients out. I wonder if you couldn't do a lead magnet, something along the lines of 10 things an attorney should be thinking about when trying to decide whether to appeal on their own or top 10 mistakes lawyers make handling their own appeals. Yes, I actually have thought about that very idea. And a top 10 list, of course, as you know, is, is very popular and easy to digest. I'm going through the process of revising and rebuilding our firm website right now and because what we have currently isn't set up for the delivery of lead magnets, and it's, it's not just compatible with that concept. So we're overdue for a redesign, but I'm actually in the process now of, of being able to set that up and have got a lead magnet designed and ready to go. That's not the particular one, but that is definitely on my list of lead manics to put together. And I completely agree. I mean, that's, you know, if I can can sort of break through that initial mindset of this is my case, I know the case better than anybody, and I should be the one to handle it, not only to educate along the lines of what you're talking about, Jim, but also to help showcase why this works best. Obviously, it works best for me and, and my law firm because we want to get work that, that helps pay the bills and, and keeps us going. But really, I, I mean, my belief is that it's very difficult, difficult as it may be, to help a trial lawyer break out of that mindset that I've got to do this myself. You know, once we are able to, to show them the value that we bring to the cases, and it's even on a, on a consulting basis. I mean, we don't have to step in and take over everything. We can come in and, and consult and help shepherd them through the process. But once we are able to break that mindset, then I, I think it's clear to the folks that have, have hired us that we do bring a lot of value. And so I, I really like that idea a lot, and, and it's good for me to hear that you've come up with it independently because it's affirming of my own thought process. All right, Todd. So we are recording this in mid-December. 2019 is right around the corner. What is one thing that you want to accomplish in the first quarter of next year? I need a lot of work on my intake process. And I've been working to try and set that up. We've really not had a very organized process in the past. It's been, you know, someone calling me up directly to try and either to, if it's a lawyer, to talk about the case, or we do still get a lot of calls from folks, I don't know a great description of them, 
sort of off the street, you know, not direct referral types. And we struggled over the years with uh, how to cope with those calls. And, I, you know, I've tried to train various staff members to deal with those. And it, it usually works okay, but we need a much better system in place for our basic intake that not only, you know, gets the basic information just for me to look at and consider, but also helps to, on the front end of our, our processes so that we can use that as a data entry point to enter information into our system that we'll be able to use later on for various purposes like creating engagement letters, you know, touches down the line, putting the information into our practice management system uh, and so forth. And I, I've thought a lot about that and I've got a lot of, of uh, detailed thoughts about it. And if now I'm actually getting to the point where I'm starting to execute on that. So that's definitely going to be among our very top priorities for the early part of 2019. That and just systems in general, because I mean, I don't, I don't have to talk to you guys about the importance of systems. And that's been a challenge for us to put together as well. Talk to us about that. Talk to us about the problem with building out systems. Well, you know, when I started, I started this practice in 2006. And so, you know, it doesn't sound like that's all that long ago, but in terms of technology, it really is. There's been so much that's happened between 2006 and today that really has put folks in solo and small firm practices in a much, much better position to compete against larger practices. The issue, of course, is, you know, I, I have the age-old problem of am I going to be the technician or am I going to be the entrepreneur? Because as the managing partner of my firm, I mean, no one else is in a position to sort of drive this this boat of installing systems. It, the problem that I found is everybody, particularly lawyers, I think this is just indicative of, of the profession. Most folks are just just want to take care of what's in front of them for that day because so often they're putting out a fire, they're dealing with an emergency, and our profession is challenging as it is taking that additional step to think about, all right, well, how can this be done better? You know, I've done this task 20 times. What can I do to automate it? You know, as you fellas know, that takes a lot of forethought and planning and time to be able to harness or at least recognize, well, I've got this issue. How do I deal with it in a way where I can systematize it, where it takes less time, where you cut down, you know, the opportunity for human error. And so for me, the issue is too, I, I like what I do as a lawyer. And so I've not really been able to convince myself to totally turn over the day-to-day law practice to someone else. I've got help. I've got two other lawyers that work with our firm. They do a great job. They're very good lawyers. I've had various levels of administrative help, but I just so far haven't found the right combination so that I felt comfortable being able to give over a lot more of the job of systematizing our firm. And so I still have my hands really, really deep into it. The good news is, is I've identified a lot of what we need. The challenge, of course, is finding the time to actually execute on that. I feel good about where we are right now, though. I know what has to be done. And I, I feel good about a lot of the other pieces we have in place to help with that. So, Todd, it kind of sounds like, I mean, you've definitely given a lot of thought and you've worked on it, but maybe there is some things where you can just set aside more time. So talk a little bit about, how, I guess, how you manage your day, because it sounds like you've got a definite a grasp on it, but you need a, a little bit more effort into it. So you want to talk a little bit about, I guess, how you manage your day and maybe some things you think you can possibly improve upon so you could you can do that planning? Sure. And I really have no excuse for how I manage my day because 
I'm a big Michael Hyatt fan, and I follow his courses on goal setting and day-to-day management. And I actually use his paper planner. You know, most of us use almost everything electronic these days. So I, I'm pretty purposeful in how I go about setting up you know, the, my weekly tasks and my daily tasks and how those all fit into the bigger picture. It's just been a matter for me of execution. Something comes up, you know, there's a fire that needs to be put out that day. And so, you know, one of my tasks will fall by the wayside for that day. And it, you know, I, I have all the pieces in place. I'm sort of, you know, pointing the finger back at myself on this, obviously, but I have all the pieces in place to, to do it and do it right. Again, it's just a matter of the execution. So I'm, I think I'm finally reaching the point where I'm realizing, okay, really for, for this to turn into what I want it to be, I've really got to dedicate the time, block it off on the calendar. You know, I've been pretty purposeful in how I set up my schedule. You know, I don't, I don't take unscheduled phone calls generally. I'm, I've got a online booking service that I use that helps me manage my calendar and, and calls coming in. So really, Tyson, the, the biggest challenge for me is just executing on the plan, uh, even if it's a plan that I drew up and not getting distracted by the day-to-day stuff that, that comes up in running a law firm and minimizing every other distraction too. I mean, that's, that's the key. And I've, I think I've been pretty successful and I, I'm not on email all the time. I pretty much have limited myself to checking email twice a day, although that that's a challenge too. But really, I, I think as long as I can execute on a plan that I've drawn up, I've definitely got the ability to get there. It's just for me a matter of now I'm looking at, oh, it's the end of the year. You know, what, what goals have I been able to accomplish or what have I not? What do I want to accomplish in 2019? And, of course, everyone has sort of end-of-year overwhelm, too, at this point. But I'm very optimistic about being able to, to get this stuff done. I just have to, you know, actually follow the plan. Todd, talk to us about having an office in Austin and an office in Houston. Tell us about your team and sort of how you do the logistics of managing people. Sure. Well, that's one of the, the fun things about our firm. I mean, I starting out solo, that, that was easy. I went and civilized an office from a law firm where a friend of mine was a partner, and it was just me, literally. You know, to go kind of through our growth, eventually I started getting my wife to help out with certain things, and my CPA decided, you know, she's doing some stuff for you. You need to put her on the payroll. So I did. And so Julie is our firm administrator and has been for about 10 years now. That's an interesting experience. I know, Jim, that you, you have something similar in your law firm. That has its own challenges. But so what we did initially is we actually had another office in another part of Texas for a good long time, and I had someone approach me about coming into my firm. And so we decided, all right, we're going to do this and do things you know, between two locations, and we're going to use technology as best we can to implement this plan. So what, since then, what we've done, of course, we've learned a lot of lessons along the way, but now we're, we're big advocates of Slack. I'm a big advocate of Zoom. We have a Slack team, and we're constantly communicating within Slack about uh, various issues, team-related issues, administrative issues. We've got channels for our matters, and if I'm working with a lawyer from another location, that's always great so that you can have those sort of real-time communications and then we do all of our firm meetings over Zoom, video calls. What I've started doing there that's turned out to be a really good thing, I think, is we started recording those periodic meetings and then having our virtual assistant basically go in 
and enter the topics and, uh, and time mark the topics in the notes section. We have a Tetra page that's set up for that. So that we we upload the uh, the video, the meeting video to Vimeo, and then link it to a Tetra page, and then have notes entered in about what topics were covered at what time markers. And so it's really helped to kind of document things that are going on in the firm and helps me not to have to repeat myself, you know, 20 times over. I can go back and refer to those firm meetings. But really that that sort of technology that helps us as a dispersed team sort of be in front of each other on a regular basis, even though we're not quite 200 miles apart, has really been a, a big plus. But on top of that, you know, we do get together periodically. It's, it's not Houston is not a terribly long distance away from Austin. It's a couple-hour car ride. So I get over there. I'm trying to get over there more often, but I do get over there periodically, and the folks from Houston will come to Austin from time to time. And so we we do get uh, face-to-face time as well. And so I, I think, you know, yes, there are challenges, I'll say, in running offices in multiple locations, but our technology platform is such that we're really on the same system, so we don't really have many challenges there. And then as long as we can keep the lines of communication open, I'd say it works really well. That's where we run into challenges is when we're not actively communicating with each other. And the tendency, particularly among folks in my practice area, is to sort of work as silos. We try really hard to avoid that. It is a challenge, but I think this is one of the things I was getting at talking about technology earlier is we do have the ability now to really work as one unit much more efficiently and better than we could have done it even 10 years ago. And what I'm doing now, was it wasn't impossible, but it would have been a lot, lot harder if I had started off with the same exact structure back in 2006 when I started this. Uh, technology really is a, is a facilitator for us. So, Todd, I'm just kind of curious. What advice would you have for people that are considering bringing their spouse into the practice? Because I know something that Jimmy does, and I, a couple other people that have been on the podcast, they've, they've brought their spouse into the firm. So what is your advice to those people that are thinking about doing something similar? Well, probably the first and best thing to do is to set up some kind of boundaries about, you know, when is it okay to talk about work? You know, it is a natural tendency, I think. You're not, and my wife works from home, by the way, I should mention that. I, I work out of a physical office here in Austin. It's only about a mile away from our house. But Julie works from home and, and always has. And she's very part-time, but she's got her hand in all the details of, of the business, particularly, you know, all the admin side, and the, the uh, accounts payable and receivable and bookkeeping and all the, the management side of things. And so if she plays a critical role. We're not together during the day all the time. And so the tendency is, you know, we're cooking dinner or cleaning up after dinner or doing something else around the house. The tendency is to launch into the conversation about whatever the issue of the day was, the law firm, we have tried really hard to not do that, to try to protect our our own uh, time as a family from that intrusion. You can't always help it. I mean, there's, there's going to be times that something just has to be dealt with or you really, something is just at the forefront of your mind and you really need to talk about it. But, you know, we have found that, that if we can sort of keep our work time to more traditional work hours, then it benefits our, our family life to not have our boys have to overhear conversations about work. And they actually, they will remind us from time to time. It's like, Mom, Dad, y'all need to stop talking about work. <laughs> so we, ha- we have that sort of built-in reminder. But 
I think really it's a it's a matter of just taking care to not let the office stuff spill into every aspect of your personal life because as a solo or small firm lawyer, it's hard enough not to have that happen. But when you work with your spouse, you know, this also can intrude upon your, your personal relationship. And yeah, you're, you're right, Tyson. That is a challenge. Uh, it's important to bring that up and hopefully offer some advice to folks. Have a good, honest conversation with your spouse about what their role is, what you expect of each other. And, um, you know, try to as best you can to keep your work conversations to work hours. Now, those would probably be the the best initial pieces of advice I would offer. That's great advice, and I agree. Amani and I try to keep things separate. We don't always succeed, that's for sure. And we've had our kids give us that same reminder. The flip side of it too is that you do, at least with Amani and I both being lawyers, we get to trade off work with each other and. There's a lot of benefits from a family standpoint in that one of us can usually be available somewhere. So um, there's, right. there's, with all things, there's, there's pluses and minuses. Todd, I would think that someone like you who has a lot of business come from lawyers would benefit a lot from all the networking that you've done. Obviously, if you're the head of your Austin Bar Association, you've, you've met a lot of lawyers. Give some advice to our listeners about that networking piece of things. I know so much we often we talk about electronic and internet stuff on here, but talk to us about old school networking. Sure. Well, you brought up the bar and that's a great example for me. I think that face-to-face networking, sort of old school style, there's really no substitute. And I've heard it said that one of the great things about social media is, you know, you can you can build a relationship on social media that you can actually follow up on or verify in real life by meeting the person that you've been, you know, Facebook friends or a Twitter follower of uh, in real life, and it works both ways. You can use uh, social media to sort of augment your your direct personal relationships. But for me, what really has made a huge difference was, I mentioned earlier, having subleased an office from a friend's law firm when I first started my, my what was then a solo practice, and that building just happened to be in the same, or the office just happened to be in the same building as the Austin Bar Association. And I was relatively new to Austin at the time. I'd only been in town for three years and I, I didn't, I was working for a big firm. I wasn't getting out and didn't know just a ton of people in the legal community. But the one thing I did that I think made the biggest difference for me was all I had to do to, to go and meet people and network with other lawyers was ride the elevator down in the same building and go to their almost daily CLE luncheon presentations. And so I, I picked the sections I was interested in, litigation section, appellate section, solo small firm section, and so on. And I, I started attending those educational lunches. And, of course, you know, Austin, we have a relatively large bar association. We're more than 4,000 members. But the people who are coming to those CLE lunches tend to be the same folks, you know, folks who are interested in networking with other lawyers, folks who are interested in being educated on a particular topic. And a lot of times there was an opportunity to introduce yourself and you know say who you are and what you did. And so I found that to be a great opportunity. That To me, that was one of the keys when I first started out was letting people know who I was, what I did, and getting to know them and establishing a personal relationship with them. And just going to those CLE lunches to me was a great foot in the door and, and created for me a lot of relationships that I've maintained to this day. So... You know, you have to watch out. You don't you don't want it to be a, 
just a, a giant business card exchange because, you know, those don't tend to go. There's not a lot of productivity or work that comes directly out of just exchanging a bunch of business cards at a at a luncheon or any other networking event. But really, if you can connect with people, just chatting with people at those events or something similar where you can actually establish a personal connection and then, you know, maybe follow that up with a, a social media connection if it is appropriate to the situation. And uh, then, you know, touch base with them uh, periodically. It's really not rocket science. It's just a matter everything in our business, in our profession, is about establishing personal relationships and maintaining those. And you guys talk a lot about some great technology tools for doing that. But really, at the end of the day, there's no substitute for that actual face-to-face direct connection, especially to reinforce anything that you've done or the connections that you've made over the internet or electronically. If you've got the ability to do it, if you're wanting to create a practice in your town and establish those relationships there, that's the kind of thing that I just think you have to do is get out in the community, particularly the legal community, meet the folks that are most likely to send you business. And so for me, obviously it was the trial lawyers and that was a, the Austin bar was a great way for me to make those initial connections. And as you mentioned earlier, Jim, I mean, I've, I've liked it so much that now they've managed to convince me to be the, the president next year. So I'd say it's, you know, I could hardly be a, a better cheerleader for the bar. It's been a really, really good organization for me to be a part of. And it's, it's led to a lot of benefits for me and I've gotten a lot out of it personally and had the, a great opportunity to give a lot back too. I love that. That's a really a great example of just different strokes for different folks because I, I always hear mixed reviews about going to those meetings and some people like them, some people hate them. So it's really is kind of good to hear someone that gets a lot out of them. And so I I think that's great. All right. So Todd, we're going to wrap things up. We're moving over our time, but let's fine. We'll start to wrap things up. Before I do, I want to remind everyone to go to the Facebook group where people like Todd are engaged, sharing their best advice, sharing great ideas, which we all truly appreciate. So get involved there. And please go to iTunes or wherever your podcast and give us a five-star review. Jimmy, what's your hack of the week? All right. So there's a fellow that I follow. His name is James Clear. He wrote a new book last year called Atomic Habits, which I actually haven't read yet. But he sends out an email at the end of every year with a link to all of the book summaries that he's read that year. So what he does is he summarizes each book that he reads in a given year and then Not only does he summarize it, he also comes up with three sentences to describe the main concepts from each book. So last year, he read and summarized 55 books, and they can be fiction or nonfiction. Most of them are the kind of books that we read in this group, the the kind of leadership and management books that we do. But I think that it's just a really great example of he's creating content. It's not about him. It's interesting. It's useful. And it's shareable. And I think he's really built a great blog in large part with these summaries. And I think it's something that we could do or learn from in that it doesn't always have to be about us and our practice area. I like that. That's actually really cool. What was the link again? His name is James Clear and his website is jamesclearclear.com. We'll put a link in the show notes. Very cool. All right, Todd, you know the routine. What's your tip or hacking link? I've got a tip and it's an app. You know, we talked about a little bit today about uh, time management and avoiding distractions. And uh, a lot of the listeners may already be familiar with this general technique, the Pomodoro technique. 
which is managing your time when you're directly focused on a task in 25-minute chunks. And so there's an app called Focus Keeper that implements this technique for you, and it runs a timer. You start the timer, and it counts down in 25 minutes. It lets you know when the 25 minutes is over and tells you to take a five-minute break. And then when that five minutes is up, it automatically starts another 25-minute timer. And then I think it's you cycle through that like four times, and it will prompt you to take a longer break, like a half-hour break. I think most of these settings are, are customizable, but I have found that if I'm really trying to get something done and I really want to minimize distractions, if I'll just pull up this app, Focus Keeper, uh, it's a typical app. You can get it on iTunes and I think the other distribution sources. But for me, it's, it's if I'm working on a brief and I'm just like, all right, I got I to gotta turn off the phone. I'm, I'm not going to look at email. I'm not going to look at Slack. If I just set this timer and, and make myself abide by it and work in those big chunks, I'm, I'm really very happy with how productive I'm able to be. So I would highly encourage folks to check that out. There's a lot of other good options for implementing the Pomodoro technique, but Focus Keeper has been an app that's worked very well for me. I really like that. I bought an hourglass about six months ago, and the problem with the hourglass is it doesn't reset. You've got to, you've got to reset it yourself, which sounds like a really simple thing, but it's not whenever you're trying to – that repeat of time that you were talking about is really, really crucial. So I think that that's really important. And then I accidentally broke uh, the hourglass, so I don't even have it anymore. <laughs> so I think it's a really good step. So my tip of the week is actually, so I'm hiring again, and I use the Atticus skills test, which are really awesome. Jim Hart introduced me to them, and I think they're really, really good. One thing that I think that they're lacking is, well, two things. One the, is the personality test, which I've implemented. Another one is a technology test, a test candidate skills with technology. And I think that's really crucial, especially when you run an office like yours, Todd, where you've got people that really have to have the basic skills down. If they don't have the basic skills down, they can't help you with your firm. They just can't because you're going to be spending too much time trying to teach them to do the very basic things. And so Jay Ruane told me about a website called EmployTest, E-M-P-L-O-Y-Test.com. And it's really good. It's got all the, it's got other skills tests on there too, but one of them is just a basic technology test and they send me a sample of it and it's really good. So I recommend it at employtest.com. So if you're looking to hire, you want to make sure that they've got those basic technology skills and you want to verify all those different things, all those softwares that they know how to use on the resume. They're half of them are too old or, or BS anyways. If you want to verify that, you can give them that test. So, all right, Todd, thank you so much for coming on. This has been really great. We really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate everything you guys do for folks like like me and my firm. Thanks, Todd. See you, buddy. Yep. See you. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your hosts and to access more content, go to MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.